1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. We will not stay here. We're going to maneuver around the scriptures a little bit tonight. As you know, we began a number of weeks ago a series on biblical prophecy. I don't know how long we're going to go with this. I'm not sure. I'm just trying to follow the Lord and give you guys what I think the Lord wants us to examine and study. But at the beginning of the study, I uh, relayed to you that I, I feel like what we're trying to do in this is to prove and show from the Bible that the pre-tribulation rapture position is the biblical position. Just a quick reminder of what that is. Uh, I do believe, and I'm sure you do as well, that there is going to come upon this earth one of these days a seven-year period of time uh, we, we call it the seven-year tribulation period. That's a good name for it. There's going to be a lot of tribulation during those seven years. Uh, others call it Daniel's 70th week. I like Israel's 70th week because I believe the, that seven-year period of time is, is, uh, emphasizes them. God is turning back to them for the purpose of them getting right with the Lord and receiving their Messiah. But that period of time is coming upon this earth. In fact, uh, the bulk of prophecy that you even hear about when preachers preach or Bible teachers teach has something to do usually with that seven-year period of time. When we talk about the Antichrist, when we talk about the mark of the beast, when we talk about the seal judgments or the trumpet judgments or uh, the vile judgments, we talk about the battle of Armageddon, we talk about all of those things. That's all related to that seven-year period of time. They'll all take place within that, uh, that period. The question is, when do we go to heaven? When, when are we raptured out of here in relation to that seven-year period of time? Now, many believe that we will go through all seven years. Others believe we'll go through most of the seven years. Some believe we'll, we'll be raptured out at the middle point of the seven years. Some believe that some of us will go at the beginning, before the, that seven-year begins, and some of us will be left behind to, to deal with it. They're called partial raptures. They believe that if you're right with God, you get raptured. If you're not right with God, though you're saved, you stay in and go through that uh, trying time. I believe that's absolute nonsense. Uh, we're not, that's not going to happen. However, we do need to know where we stand on these things. I believe, and I'm convinced by the Word of God, that we will be taken out of here prior to that seven-year period of time. And so what we've done is try to lay some groundwork over the last few weeks to get to this point. Uh, our first lesson that we looked at, we were trying to look at the difference between, and I didn't do a, a, a great job at it, and, and there, I, I could probably spend a, an entire month or more on the subject of premillennialism versus amillennialism versus postmillennialism. Uh, just a, a quick reminder, I am, we are premillennialists. What that means is we believe that Jesus comes back to this earth, sets up his millennial reign, his thousand-year his reign, and then reigns on earth for a thousand years. The amillennialists believe that we're in the millennial reign right now. They believe that the church age is the millennial reign of Christ. The postmillennialists believe that we're going to, you and I as Christians are going to bring in 
the kingdom through gospel efforts and things of this nature, and then when that thousand years or that approximate long period of time ends, post-millennial, then Jesus comes back after you and I uh, as Christians and the church has ruled and reigned on the earth for a thousand years. And I, I'm not an amillennialist, I'm not a post-millennialist. We could spend more time on those, but I, I felt like I just wanted to emphasize the fact that we are premillennial. And also, uh, in case you're not aware of this, I relayed this a few weeks ago, I'll remind you of it. Fundamental Baptist Church was uh, founded as a church because of the doctrine of premillennialism. This congregation was a part of another local church in this area. This is 1944. This is nothing recent, obviously. 1944. But there was a, a war over premillennialism that took place in that local church, in that congregation, and all the premillennialists, who I believe were the right ones, left and started Fundamental Baptist Church. And that's, that's why we exist. When I found out this church started over a fight of prophecy, I thought, these are my people. These are my people. I am at home. I couldn't believe it when I heard it, but uh, it's just, it's just, because I've been fighting over this for 20-something years now, and so it was just a, a tremendous blessing to my heart, know that uh, y'all like to fight too. That was just a blessing. Uh, the, next, the next lesson we looked at, we were considering the Israel getting saved. Uh, one of the controversies in this issue, about that seven-year period of time, there are some who believe in replacement theology. They believe that that week has nothing to do with Israel getting saved, they just believe, if they believe that week is, is going to happen, they believe that that week is about Israel's just absolute judgment and annihilation. And uh, I do not agree with that at all. Not all replacement theolo theologians believe that, but many, many do. And I believe, the, I believe the last thing that we looked at was Israel's 70th week. We took about two weeks and spent some time in Daniel 9 trying to show that there will be a future seven-year period of time. I hope we establish that. If you, if you still are uncertain about uh, the position, you're, you're welcome to ask me questions uh, on Facebook Live and YouTube. You'll find, and, and the, the Church One app, you'll find those messages. If you want to go back and listen to them and uh, just rehash a little bit as to what we try to teach and what we looked at as far as the future of that seven-year tribulation period of time. However, tonight, now, now we're, tonight we're getting in the meat of it. Tonight, we're going to begin looking at we already believe that that seven-year period of time is coming upon this earth. Tonight, I want to begin, this, this may take us a few weeks, maybe three, four, five weeks, we'll see, and I want to prove that we're going to be raptured out of here before that seven-year period of time takes place. I want to show you from the Bible. I believe this is vitally important because I feel like um, in the Baptist world, let me, let me just stick with Baptist because that's what I am, uh, in the Baptist world, we have emphasized, since 1948, we have emphasized what's happening in Israel. And I, I think it's important to see what's happening in Israel. Don't misunderstand me. But if you read books prior to 1948 when Israel became a nation again, and you read uh, men talking about the rapture of the church and the coming of Christ, that you could just tell they were digging in the scriptures. They were wrestling with verses and and, and they, were, they were giving tremendous arguments and reasons for their belief. But then 1948 come, and, and since then, you have, you, have, you have books like the late great planet Earth uh, that, that was written back in the 70s. And I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize that author, 
I'm sure he's a good man, and I, I probably agree with him theologically. But what happened when that book came out? People got more interested in the sensational aspect of it than the theological aspect of it. In fact, your average Christian, they, they, they want to hear about the mark of the beast. They want to hear about aliens and spaceships. That, that's more of what they want to hear about than the theology of why we believe we're going to be raptured before the tribulation period. And what has happened is a lot of preachers have not put the time in. And, and I know this because they have told me this. They, they've not put the time in to, to understand why we are what we are and why we believe what we believe. Because of that, you have men like Stephen Anderson and Alan Kirshner and others who are pre-Rathians who have come up, and then and even before then, Robert Van Kempen and, and, and Marvin Rosenthal and a lot of popular pre-Rath believers, preachers, I should say, have come up and, uh, and they're coming with this, this idea of the pre-Rath rapture and so these young preachers will go to their pastors and say, okay, here's what Marvin Rosenthal said. Here's what Robert Van Kampen said. Uh, here's what Stephen Anderson says. This is what Alan Kirshner says. Uh, so, so what say you, pastor? And the pastors start fumbling around because they've been reading their newspaper and watching Fox News and paying attention to Israel instead of digging into the theology of, of end times. Eschatology is the technical term. And we need to know why. You know, we, we can shout over the pre-trib rapture, but do you know why? And we, got, we have to have more than just somebody saying, well, it's what the Bible says. Well, I mean, that's what you, you're saying that the Bible says it, but show me where the Bible says it. And that's why we're going to do this study. And I hope, I hope it's a blessing to you, help to you. Uh, like I said before, if it's not, if you'll just pretend and act like it's a blessing, we'll all be happy. Amen. All right, First Thessalonians chapter number 4. Verse 13, very familiar passage. This is the passage that describes in detail more than any other passage in the Bible the rapture of the saints of God. Verse number 13, Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who have died in Christ, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now he doesn't say sorrow not, period. He says sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We're going to sorrow. You lose a loved one. Someone passes away. You're going to sorrow. But if they're saved, we don't sorrow as someone who has no hope. We know they're saved. They're with the Lord. We're going to see them again. We have hope. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I believe that, you believe that. Well, if we believe that, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So when Jesus comes back, God is sending back with Jesus the saints of God who have passed on. And they're going to stop in the clouds with the Lord, and we're going to meet them in the sky. Look at the next verse, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that's an old English way of saying precede, where we who are alive will not go before the dead in Christ. In other words, if the rapture happened right now, the saints of God in that graveyard, they're coming up before we go up. Now, it's going to be quick. It's going to be extremely quick. But in the timing of things, they're coming up before we come up. We will not precede them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. They're coming up first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, with the saints that have gone on before, in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's why it's a good thing at a funeral. I don't always do it, but sometimes I do. And if I have a chance, I will. At a funeral, I'll, I'll talk about the rapture. I'll talk about the resurrection of that saint of God. They're going to get up one of these days. If you're saved and your loved one's saved, you're going to see your loved one again one of these glorious days. And we can comfort one another with that truth. Now, verse number 1 of chapter 5. That very first word is the word but. Odd place to put that word, but it's there. And what it's doing, what that word does for us, it connects chapter 5 to what he just said in chapter 4. It's a conjunction. So what the Apostle Paul is going to do in chapter 5, he's going to continue the thought from chapter 4. But of the times and the seasons, brethren. Now, now in, in verse excuse me, in chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, he talks about the rapture, the resurrection of the saints. That's one event. Jesus comes down, brings the, the saints that are dying in Christ, come with him, we meet them in the clouds, we're resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 says they were all changed in the twinkling of an eye at that event. The bodies of the saints in the ground come up, meets their soul and spirit in the clouds. Our bodies go up immediately thereafter, and our bodies are changed on the way up. We're all changed. We're all glorified. We all become just like Jesus on that resurrection day. We meet the Lord in the clouds, and we go back to heaven with the Lord and with the saints of God. That's one event. But in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, but of the times, the word times is plural, and seasons. Seasons is plural. So, but of the times and the seasons, these, he didn't say, but of the time and the season of the rapture specifically, but the times and the seasons which include the rapture. Because there's plenty of prophetic events that are going to take place after the rapture. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. There's no need, in other words, for me to tell you when this is going to happen. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is going to sneak up on this world. This world is not going to see it coming. This, the day of the Lord and post-tribulationists, pre-Rathians will agree with me on this, that the rapture either immediately precedes the day of the Lord or begins the day of the Lord. I prefer to say it precedes it. I don't believe, I personally don't believe that the rapture is a part of the day of the Lord, but I, I believe that the rapture happens and very shortly thereafter the day of the Lord begin. begin I, I can explain that to you some other time. Right now I'm just saying the rapture is very close to the day of the Lord and the day of the Lord is going to happen right there at the rapture. So for, for tonight's sake, we're not even going to worry about that separation. We're just going to look at the fact that rapture happens, then the day of the Lord's here. Okay? Well, the day of the Lord's coming on this world as a thief in the night. The world's not going to see it coming. They're not going to see the rapture coming or the day of the Lord coming. For when they, the world, shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Verse 3 describes the day of the Lord. Verse 2 says the day of the Lord is coming as a thief. Verse 3 says that the day of the Lord is coming as sudden destruction. It's going to come upon them. Sudden destruction comes upon them. And then he uses this 
terminology to describe the horrors of the day of the Lord. He says it's going to be as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. He compares the day of the Lord to be labor pains that a woman would go through. Now, obviously, I have never had a child. And in 2023, there's a lot of confusion over who can have a child. But normal people who have functioning brains, they know that only a woman can have a child. But when labor begins, the contractions begin, and they are normally, they're spread out. They're, 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 they have pain. There's pain. There's difficulty involved, but it's, it's not as intense at the beginning. But as the labor continues, the contractions get closer together and more intense until right there at the end when the baby is birthed, there's great pain. There's great tension, pains, the Bible describes it as. I'm not describing it like I know what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you, that's what I was told. That's how it happens, like labor pains. But that's how the day of the Lord is. At the beginning of the day of the Lord, it, there'll, be, there'll be judgments, there'll be difficulties, there'll be things that are, that are very difficult. But the further you get into it, the worse and worse and worse it gets. This day of the Lord is the, 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 the first stage, if you will, of the day of the Lord is that seven-year tribulation period. The day of the Lord, it is that, that seven-year tribulation period. It begins there. It continues beyond it, but it begins with that seven-year tribulation period of time. So when Jesus in Revelation 6 begins to open those sealed judgments, seal number one is the Antichrist that comes upon this earth. It's going to be a tough occasion, but that's not the worst thing that's going to happen yet. Second seal he opens up is war. It's going to take place. War is going to break out in this world. Now, I know there is a war going on in Europe right now, but we're talking about on more of a global scale, war begins to break out. Nation rising against nation, Jesus said. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 4 down to verse number 7, if you read the words of Christ there, Matthew 24, verse 4 down to verse number 7, Jesus is describing what he talks about or what he's going to do in Revelation 6 with those sealed judgments. They match perfectly and parallel one another. Jesus opened that third seal, and you've got great famine all over this planet. Jesus opens the fourth seal. In Revelation chapter 6, and a fourth of the world will die by many different things during that period of time. I personally believe, and I can show you, we're not going to do that tonight, but I believe that the first four seals, I believe that is the first half, the first three and a half years of that seven-year tribulation period. You have the fifth seal, and that begins what we know now as the great tribulation period. That begins at the abomination of desolation. The sixth seal opened up, opens up. You have all the cosmic disturbances. The sun is darkened. The moon is darkened. Uh, the stars of heaven begin to fall. Those, those types of things. Just cosmic uh, upheavals. Earthquake. And that is right before you have the trumpet judgments. And you have the vile judgments. Those vile judgments are the worst and most intense. And those are the ones that take place right before the coming of Christ. At the end of the tribulation period when he comes to this earth. So you start with those seal judgments, Antichrist, you have war, you have famine. Those are bad. But then you get into the trumpet judgments, and the vile judgments. They just keep getting worse. 
Paul says it's like the labor pains of a woman. Starts out intense and difficult to deal with, but it just keeps getting worse until the birth. And that is how he describes the day of the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 3, look at the very end of the verse. And they, not, not us, they. See, before he's talking about us, you, ye. Here he's talking about they, that's the world. They shall not escape. They're not going to escape the day of the Lord. What's the first word of verse 4? But, but ye, but ye, ye brethren are not in darkness like the world that that day should overtake you as a thief. He said they will not escape, but it's not going to overtake us as a thief. So if they will not escape and it does overtake them as a thief, we will escape that day because it doesn't overtake us as a thief. We're going to escape. We're not going into the day of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to stop there. There's a few verses I want us to show you tonight to show you that this day of the Lord, this this sudden destruction. When he says sudden destruction, he doesn't mean that everybody on the planet just dies at one time. He's talking about the suddenness of the day of the Lord. And th there is destruction in that. There'll be destruction when the Antichrist comes on the scene. There's going to be destruction with war. There's going to be destruction with famine. There'll be destruction with that fourth seal. There's going to be destruction, destruction with the trumpets and the vows. There's going to be destruction. But it's going to come upon this world suddenly. Sudden destruction. Doesn't mean everybody dies at one time. It just means it arrives like a thief, suddenly. You're laying there in your bed at night, 2 o'clock in the morning. Something goes bump in the middle of the night. Somebody's in your house, an intruder. It's sudden. It's a surprise. That's what he means by sudden destruction. He's not saying everybody dies. But he says that's when the destruction begins. It's sudden. As travail Upon a woman with child. Now, here's what I need you to do just for the next 15, 20 minutes. You put your thinking caps on. You need to remember this phrase, as travail upon a woman with child. See, what the Apostle Paul is doing with this phrase and the phrase, the day of the Lord, he's reaching back into the Old Testament and he's pulling out phrases from the Old Testament to describe that future tribulation period. Now, Many of those passages where he's borrowing language from are also describing that future tribulation period. But you need to remember that terminology. As travail upon a woman with child. Like a woman going into labor pains. That describes the day of the Lord. Now some would argue, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm making this point tonight. Some would argue with me and others that the day of the Lord does not encompass the entire seven years. Well, I don't believe the day of the Lord happens until the seven years is over. Some say that. The pre-wrath says, I don't believe the day of the Lord happens until right toward the end. You go, we go through most of that seven-year period, then toward the end, the day of the Lord begins. Some will argue that. I believe that the day of the Lord is the entire seven-year period, plus more time after that. But we need to prove it. can't just say it. We need to show it from the Scripture. So you got your thinking cap on. Remember the phrase, the day of the Lord 
And remember the phrase, as travail upon a woman with child. If you keep those two things in mind, we'll get where we need to be tonight. All righty, here we go. Take your Bible and go to Isaiah 13, please. Isaiah 13. Remember Paul said, Day of the Lord, and as travail upon a woman with child. Go to Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13. Look at verse number 6. Isaiah 13, verse number 6. The Bible says, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Everybody see the day of the Lord. We saw that. The Apostle Paul is talking about this day. For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty, sudden destruction, just like Paul said. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. Look at verse number 8. And they shall be afraid. Pains, sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. I believe we can all agree that they're talking about. Isaiah's talking about what Paul is talking about. Sorrows, pains, travail upon a woman as with child. The day of the Lord. Same time, all righty? It's very important that you, you note that. Now, go to Jeremiah chapter number 30, please. Go to Jeremiah 30. If you'll think through this with me, you'll see what we need to see. Jeremiah 30, look at verse number 6. Jeremiah 30, verse number 6. And by the way, each one of these passages that I show you, they're going to build on something else and build on something else. We're, we're heading in a, in, into a good place. Jeremiah 30, look at verse number 6. Ask you now and see whether a man doth travail with child. That's Paul's language. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Do you all see that? Same language that Paul used. And Paul's talking about the day of the Lord. The same thing that Isaiah is talking about, the day of the Lord. Look at verse number 7. Alas, for that day, the day of the Lord, is great so that none is like it. Watch this. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's 70th week. Do you all remember that? And he, Jacob, or Israel, shall be saved out of it. What did I tell you that happens at the end of that seven-year period of time? Israel gets saved. Jacob gets saved. If you need to, go back and listen to the, some of the old messages if you're glutton for punishment and uh, re rehash some of that. But notice... Here's Paul, Isaiah, and now Jeremiah all talking about the same day. But Jeremiah adds some stuff. Jeremiah says that this day is a day that is like no other. Look at verse 7 again. Alas, for that day is great. Keep in mind that word great. We're going to go somewhere with that word great. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. This, this aspect of the day of the Lord, this travail upon a woman with child, there's never been another time like this. It is so bad in what takes place during that time. Jeremiah says there's never been a day like this day. So we got Paul, we got Isaiah talking about the day of the Lord and birth pangs, and we got Jeremiah talking about the day of the Lord and birth pangs. He added to it that it's, it's a great day and it's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, but he also said it's like a day like no other. A day like no other. That's going to be very important in just a minute. Now go to Daniel chapter 12. 
Go to Daniel chapter 12. So Paul, Isaiah, talking about the same day, day of the Lord birth pains. Jeremiah, day of the Lord birth pains. But Jeremiah adds, it's a time like no other, and it's time of Jacob's trouble. Look at uh, Daniel 12. Look at verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And thy people, Daniel's people, that's Israel. We saw that a few weeks ago when we were looking at Daniel chapter 9. Thy people is Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, thy people, Daniel's people, shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. All right, let's review. Paul, dead of the Lord, birth pains. Isaiah, dead of the Lord, birth pains. Jeremiah, dead of the Lord, birth pains, but he adds, it's a time like no other. And it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Je Jeremiah said it was a great day. That day is great. Here, Daniel adds a little something. He says in verse 1, it's a time of trouble. You know what another word for trouble is in the Bible, all through the Bible? Another word for trouble is tribulation. Tribulation. So let's put this together. Paul, Isaiah, day of the Lord, birth pains. Jeremiah, birth pains, day of the Lord. Plus, it's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time like no other. Daniel, talk about the same time. It's a time like no other. It's about thy people, Daniel. But your people are going to be delivered from that. That's what Jeremiah said. Jacob's going to be saved out of that. When is Israel saved? At the end of that tribulation period. But we're seeing how the time of Jacob's trouble is linked to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now, go to Matthew chapter 24. This is where everything starts to pick up. So Paul and Isaiah talking about the same day, day of the Lord, birth pains. Jeremiah talking about the same day, day of the Lord, birth pains. Jeremiah says it's a time like no other. And by the way, I'm not repeating myself because I'm just trying to waste time. I'm trying to keep it in your mind. Help you with your thinking caps. Okay, so there's some holes up there or something. I'll make sure everything stays in there. Jeremiah, pains. Jeremiah, day of the Lord. Time of Jacob's trouble. He says it's a great time. He said it's a time like no other. Daniel said it's a time like no other. We're obviously all talking about the same time. We're all talking about the same time. Now in Matthew chapter 24, I guess I ought to turn there too. Matthew 24, look at verse number 15. Look at verse 15. There's a lot I could say here, but I'm just going to just touch on some stuff. In Matthew 24 verse 15, Jesus says, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, who's ready to let him understand. So somebody, do you remember when the abomination of desolation takes place? When the Antichrist stands in the temple, proclaims himself to be God, Israel doesn't receive it, and then he begins to persecute Israel. Does anybody remember when that takes place in that seven-year period of time? When? I can't, what's that? Three and a half years, three and a half years. Y'all may have said the same thing, you're so far away, my ears aren't working that far. In the middle period, three and a half years into, abomination of desolation is right in the middle. This is the seven-year period of time, right here's where the abomination of desolation takes place, okay? And we're going that way, by the way. I'm on your timeline, we're going that way. So, 
Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, then he gives instructions to flee Judea, run. If you're in Israel at that time, you get out. Get out. Now, I'm going to chase a quick rabbit. It's a big hairy one just running by. I'm going to shoot him real quick, and I hope I, hope I take care of him quickly. But a lot of your post-tribulationists and your pre-Rathians, they believe that these instructions to flee Judea and all this kind of stuff, they believe that is for Christians in the tribulation period. Let me, let's, say, let's say the pre-trib is wrong. Just hypothetically speaking, let's say it's wrong. And we actually see the Antichrist confirm that covenant. And if we see that, we know we've got seven years left. We know it. And let's say, let's say we see, we're watching television, or we see, or we hear about the abomination of desolation taking place in Israel. If there are any Christians in Israel at that three-and-a-half-year point, they have to be the dumbest Christians in the history of Christianity. Because for three and a half years, we know the Antichrist is here. Why in the world would it be a crowd of people gathered in Jerusalem to see the Antichrist? The reason why that's taking place, it's not us. Christians aren't that stupid. I don't say these people are stupid. I'm just saying they didn't get saved prior to the rapture. And now Jesus has left them some instructions as what to do when you see that happens. Now, most people in the first three and a half year tribulation period, they're not going to know to do all this. That's why God sends Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, to preach. Maybe even some of the 144,000, I'm not sure, get saved during that time. I don't know. But, but what we do know is those two witnesses will be on the scene. You know those two witnesses are going to preach Matthew 24. They're going to preach Mark 13. They're going to preach the book of Revelation. They're going to preach the book of Hebrews for those Jewish people. And they're going to tell them, Jesus said to flee when you see the abomination of desolation take place. And so at that time, they will flee. But there's a reason why they have to flee at that middle point. Look at verse number 21. Jesus says, for then, at that abomination of desolation, for then shall be great. Jeremiah said it was great, right? Daniel said it was great trouble. For then shall be great tribulation. Watch this. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. He's talking about the same time that Daniel's talking about, that Jeremiah's talking about, that Isaiah's talking about, that Paul's talking about. The day of the Lord. Now, what I just did, if you didn't pay attention, I just proved at least a mid-trib rapture. Because Jesus said, starting right here is a time like no other. Well, that's what Daniel talks about. That's, this is when Michael stands up in Daniel 12, 1. Michael stands up. In fact, if you read Revelation 12, when Michael stands up, he engages with Satan in the heavens. Michael and his angels war with Satan and his angels right at that middle point of time. And the Bible says Satan is cast out for the final time at that point in time and begins his persecution of Israel and you have this great tribulation period. A time like no other. And during this time, you have the trumpets and you have the vials, all of that wrath coming down during this time. Just like Jesus, just like Paul, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Daniel said. And so therefore, if the day of the Lord is a time like no other, and Jesus said, this is that time like no other, then the day of the Lord at least encompasses the last half. So, 
the pre-Rathians who believe the rapture happens somewhere here and the post-tribbers, they believe it happens right here, they can go away. They're wrong. They're wrong. The day of the Lord at least encompasses right here. You say, but preacher, what about right here? When the Antichrist shows up and the wars break out and famine takes place. And by the way, there can be wars prior to the tribulation period. We can, we can have a World War III prior to the tribulation period. We can have famines prior to that. A lot of people teach that the, you, know, you pre-tribulationists, you, you just teach the pre-trib rapture because you don't want your head chopped off. People are getting their head chopped off now. That's nonsense. In fact, my pastor used to preach like this. He said, the rapture of the church, he said, he said I believe it's going to be a rescue operation. He believed that we were going to be under heavy persecution when Jesus raptured us out. So the preacher rapture is not about us escaping persecution. We're probably going to go through a load of it before we get out of here. But what it does teach is we're going to escape the day of the Lord, the time of God's wrath. And the Antichrist and those particular wars, those particular famines, that, that fourth seal. It's amazing how the post-tribbers and the pre-rathians don't believe that fourth seal is the wrath of God. A fourth of the world dies for many reasons, and they say, not the wrath of God. I say, you lost your mind. Of course it's the wrath of God. Jesus opens the seal, and it happens. The wrath of Christ, wrath of God, the day of the Lord. But what about that first half? Is that the day of the Lord? Is it? Now, it is interesting. I said a minute ago, if you read, you're in Matthew 24. If you look at verse number 4 down to verse number 7, that parallels the first four seals of Revelation 6. Parallels it. Those, those verses, 4 to 7, parallel those first four seals of Revelation. So what I believe is happening here in verse 4 to verse 7, Jesus is talking about that first half period of time of that seven-year tribulation period. He's talking about that first half. We know he's talking about the first half because it parallels the first half in Revelation 6. The same thing. Y'all got that? Some of the same thing. So much more I could say here, but I've been preaching a lot of long messages lately as I'm trying to shorten these things. So I'm going to shorten it and leave a lot of stuff out, maybe come back to it later. But verse number 8, look at that little tiny verse. A lot of people just kind of skip over. He says, all these. He's talking about verse 4 to verse 7. Verse 4 to verse 7, all these are on the beginning of what? Sorrows. The Greek word for sorrows is the same Greek word for travail. In 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 3, same word. We saw in Isaiah, pangs, sorrows. Jesus said this is the beginning of those sorrows. It's the beginning of the contractions. The day the Lord comes as travail upon a woman with child. That means at the beginning of that tribulation period, this right here is the beginning of sorrows. And this is the great tribulation. This is the day of the Lord. Coming upon this world as a thief. They will not see it coming. And Paul says we escape the day of the Lord. So since the day of the Lord is that whole period of time, and we don't enter into the day of the Lord. In case you don't believe that, go back to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be done with this, I promise. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4 one more time. 1 Thessalonians 4. 
excuse me, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse number 9, 1 Thessalonians 5. For God hath not appointed us to what? Wrath, the day of the Lord. Entire period. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word salvation there is not talking about salvation of your soul. That's already happened. He's talking about the salvation of your body. Just like he talked about in Romans chapter 8. He called it the redemption of the body. In Romans 13, Paul said, Our salvation now is nearer than when we believed. He's not talking about the salvation of his soul in Romans 13. He, Paul was already saved when he wrote that. He's talking about the redemption of the body. He's talking about the resurrection. God has not appointed us to wrath, but, unto, but to obtain salvation, to be raptured, to be resurrected, to experience the redemption of the body. That's what he's appointed to us. So that means before the wrath of God comes on this earth, which is the day of the Lord, which encompasses that entire seven years, here's the beginning of the sorrows. It's the beginning of the wrath. And all this, all the wrath gets worse as you go through. If we're going to escape the wrath of God on the day of the Lord, that means it has to be a pre-tribulation rapture. You're not going to go through one second of the day of the Lord. If you experience one second of the tribulation period, then my friend, you were appointed to wrath. We're leaving out of here. There's more I could say. There's more I'm going to say. I'm not done. This is just step one. But we're going to look at, and I believe hope, build up, hopefully build upon that hope, that my friend, the rapture is going to happen first. We're going to check out of here, and then the day of the Lord, the wrath of God, the tribulation period begins. Paul, travail, day of the Lord. Isaiah, travail, day of the Lord. Jeremiah, travail, day of the Lord. Great time like no other. Daniel, great time like no other. Jesus, great tribulation, time like no other. They're all talking about the same time. They're using the same words. But just in case anybody worried about that first half, Jesus said, oh, by the way, this right here is the beginning of that travail. The sudden destruction that comes upon this world in which you and I will escape. See, when Jesus comes, he said, he said, I will come. If I come, I'm going to receive you unto myself, John 14, that where I am, he may be also. When he comes back and that trumpet sounds, we're going to heaven. Now we're, we're going to see what happens on this world, but we're going to see it from the portals of glory. We're not going to have to experience this time of tribulation. However, if the rapture happens tonight and you're not ready, the rapture happens tonight and you're not ready, you will go into that day of the Lord. You will go into that tribulation period. You will experience the tribulation that's going to fall upon this world. I'm, I, I know I'm saying a lot right now. Second Thessalonians 2. Let me talk to the lost people just for a minute. Second Thessalonians 2 says, if you don't get saved before the rapture, you will believe a lie. 
you'll be sent a strong delusion. You'll believe a lie. You know what that lie is? The lie of the Antichrist. He shows up right after the rapture happens. Very shortly after the rapture, he shows up. He comes with lies and signs and lying wonders. You're going to believe his lie. You will go with him. Oh, preacher, the rapture happens. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be left behind, but I'll get saved. No, you won't. If you've had a chance, an opportunity to be saved on this side of the rapture, you're not going to have another chance on that side of the rapture. Two people, two groups of people, I should say, have a chance to get saved during that seven-year period of time. The Jewish people are going to get saved, and every Gentile that's never had a clear presentation of the gospel, never been drawn, never had a chance, they'll have an opportunity. Nobody at Fundamental Baptist Church will have a chance. Trust Jesus tonight. He could come back.